the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Albert Moeller takes aim at Andy Stanley and then a revealing tweet about the dangers of gambling. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad that it is Friday. Aubrey, it's Friday. It's the weekend. Uh, It couldn't come soon enough, I'll tell you that. Do you ever have those weeks where there's like just nothing like bad going on, but it's busy and stressful and you're just like, oh, that some weeks to me feel really just casual and other weeks feel stressful. And Uh, it was one of those weeks and those weeks. I love when the weekend gets here. Yes. I, to be honest, I feel like I'm kind of operating at a little bit of a often stressed out pace at the moment. And I'm, I'm trying to start saying no to more things in particular that I can say no to let go of some things that I can let go of in order to get a little better about that. But yeah, I feel you when the weekend's here, it is like, hallelujah. And I'm going to be gone next week. I don't know if you remember, Brian, we've got some special guests coming in next week because I'm leaving the country headed to the Dominican Republic. So I'm going to have a lot of fun. I completely forgot that. Yeah, that's all right. That is awesome. Yeah. uh, You're going and you get to go with your husband, right? Yeah, I get to go with my husband, our executive pastor and his wife and someone at our church who's very involved with Kids Alive uh, in the Dominican Republic. So we're going to do a lot of orphanage visits, a lot of, you know, I'm not a good soccer player, but I'm going to love those kids. And then we also get to have some like luxury time in the city because this our friend who's taking us loves his fancy restaurants and cool nice. city places. So he actually, he said, this is kind of funny. He sent us an email with a packing list. And one of the things said a couple fashionable outfits and ah. Kevin, like, <laughs> Kevin like highlighted it and sent it to me and was like, I don't know what to do about you this. Don't know. What is Dominican Republic fashionable? I'm like, outfit? I'll help you, babe. It'll be okay. <laughs> I am excited to hear the stories. Yeah, it's going to be I'm great. I'm excited to hear about uh, the, the, the Dominican child that you, uh, that you adopt from one of the orphanages. <laughs> that I sneak, I sneak home in my, or at my least luggage. how that conversation, that late night conversation goes for you and your husband wow. in the Dominican Republic. Wow. I look forward yeah. to that. Be fun. Uh, yes. I I'm excited to hear about yeah. that. Triple. Yeah. I'm, nice looking, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. So, uh, you've got some fun guests in next week. I think, uh, our old buddy, Steve from Renewal Church in the City is going to be mm-hmm. with you, and uh, I. But I know you'll miss me. I will miss you. We yeah. will look forward to you coming back. Yes, fashionably uh, coming back. So, uh, okay, Aubrey. There was I got this this texted to me by somebody, and then I saw it all over Twitter uh, at World Magazine WNG dot org. Albert Moeller wrote an article, an opinion piece entitled. Uh, the train is leaving the station. Andy Stanley's departure from biblical Christianity. Whoa. So I read that and I go, okay, that title got me. I'm in, yeah. I'm okay. in, I'm yeah. in all the way. So it has to do with something that Andy Stanley is hosting. He said, uh, Moeller writes this. It's not like we have not seen this coming. 
Andy Stanley is set to host the, quote, unconditional conference at a campus of North Point Community Church in the metro Atlanta area in the coming days. And the website for the conference bills it as a, quote, two-day premiere event, especially designed for parents of LGBTQ plus children and ministry leaders. You will be equipped, refreshed, and inspired as you hear from leading communicators on topics that speak to your heart, soul, and mind, it promises. One statement stands out in the description, Moeller writes, When it says this, no matter what theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the quieter middle space. And so he goes on to talk about some of the people who are speaking at it. Um, Moeller is very uncomfortable with it really. And I I don't think he's wrong with some of this. Yeah. Uh, While it's being held up to support people who are trying, you know, you might have a child who's LGBTQ or whatever else it might be a ministry there. It does blur a lot of lines. Mm, Uh, Yeah. The people who are speaking, some of the things that are being discussed, all of this stuff. So two part question for you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Let's start with the more obvious one. Uh, Andy Stanley hosting a conference like this. Now, I don't know if that means we're letting you use our building or it means we're putting this on. It reads, it reads as, to be honest with you, we're putting this on. Yeah. Um, but Moeller goes on to say, Andy Stanley, one of the most influential pastors in the U.S., has been moving in this direction for years, often by suggestion and exert assertion, but clouded by confusion and the deliberate avoidance of clarity. So I am a little surprised that Stanley would host a conference like this, even though it's not outright like, you know, this is fine. This is good. It's it's held up more as support. But I do think Moeller's got a point here. But then I got a Moeller question for you. So hold on to that one. Yeah. It okay. seems to cause confusion here, does it not? Well, here's here's a couple of my thoughts to be, you know, just to be frank. One, and, and he says this at the end, the conference hasn't been held yet. And I tend to get a little frustrated with people who jump on something uh-huh. and start tearing it down. This happens with books a lot. People start tearing down books and like the book hasn't come out. They haven't read it yet. So I, I think like there is something to Andy Stanley saying, no matter what theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect and learn Mm -hmm. as we approach this topic from a quieter middle space. And I actually think the church needs to get a little bit better about whatever this middle space is, because what's happened is we, you know, we do have an orthodox stance around sexuality, but in so doing, we have hurt people and not welcomed Mm -hmm. uh, people and not done well at queer inclusion. And I'm sorry, but nobody is outside of invitation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if this is an evangelical attempt to say everybody is welcome at the table, everybody is welcome to follow Jesus, everybody is welcome to get better at learning how to love a population that we have not been great at loving, then I actually am for this. I'm going to like cheer Andy Stanley on and I'm looking forward to knowing what comes from this. So you're, I, 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 I think he's ahead of the game at the same time. Mm-hmm. I will say two things about Andy Stanley. One, he has always been led by evangelical, uh, not evangelical evangelism. Like his mm-hmm. heart is for people who don't know Jesus. And so this has always been true of North point. This has always been a marker of his ministries. And so sometimes he goes to places other people won't go for the sake of, Hey, I want my neighbors to know Jesus. I want somebody who wouldn't go to church to go to church. That makes people uncomfortable, but he's actually proven 
like he's done a pretty good job of this. On the other side of the coin, I will say we have seen Andy Stanley get a little bit controversial when he's talked about kind of unhinging the Old Testament from the New Testament. And he's said some things publicly that definitely leave you scratching our head. Like, is he moving towards a more progressive, um, uh, unorthodox point of view on certain things? So I... I'll be honest. I want every church to get better at this. So I hope this is actually paving the way for better queer inclusion in the churches so that everyone can know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be that. And I'm with you that it might be, it might go further than uh, most Orthodox Christianity would feel comfortable doing. That's fair. Uh, The other side of the coin here. Uh, I get it. Albert Moeller is a, you know, he's got a platform. He's got people who follow. Yeah. They look to him for right. guidance and stuff. Um, with that said, I think one of the problems, especially on the conservative side, is people gatekeeping who's Christian and who's not. I agree. Like, I I'm like so you, tired of like this. Can, I feel like you can say, I'm really concerned about this conference mm-hmm. without titling the article Basically, he's leaving Christianity. I, I'm so away. tired of this. I'm so glad you pointed it out because this happens all the time. Like evangelical Christianity eats its own all the time. They're not a Christian because they voted this way. They're not a Christian because they have this stance. They're not a Christian because they posted this on social media. And it's I'm with you. Like, who are you to be the gatekeeper of somebody's salvation? Like, decide. I don't agree. I have worries. This feels scary to me. I'm not sure if I'm going to like the outcome of this. Sure. Yep. Even that, I wonder, like, Al Mohler, why is this even your business? But also, I, I'm with you. Like, I... I don't know what that impetus is us to be like, oh, they're not a Christian. And I, I, I know I may be a little more like to the left of center when it comes to some of this stuff than some of our listeners are, some other people are. But I still I'm with you. The gatekeeper piece is like. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous to me. It goes back to the old John Piper's famous tweet of farewell, Rob Bell. Yeah, I absolutely not OK for Christians to do with one another. Now, like, we're to welcome okay. and accept. I think what's okay is to say, I'm really concerned about this. Here's all the problems I have with this conference. Here's everything that I think is wrong about this. Yeah. I think that's completely fair. And that is appropriate because people are looking for clarity. They look to their leaders, help us understand this. It's taking it that final step of, and I declare you either not a Christian or on the trajectory of not being a Christian. Yeah. That I, I just don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's helpful. It is helpful for John Piper to say, here's those of you who listen to me. Here's all the problems I have with what Rob Bell wrote in. What was that book? Love wins. Love wins. Yeah. Here's all the problems I have and why I think it's terribly dangerous. It's just the next step of like, and they're not Christian anymore. Just I, I, it's that gatekeeping. Like, I don't know why we feel the need to make the declarations. We can just tell people. If, if Albert Mueller thinks this conference is terribly dangerous, mm-hmm. just say this conference is terribly dangerous. And here's yeah. the three reasons why. Yeah. And, yeah. and go from there. All right, I, would, I would kind of be interested in going to this conference, to be honest, and just seeing like what what happens, like what's the outcome? I'm going to look it up yeah. online right now. Good. On your way to the Dominican Republic, <laughs> outfits, you can stop <laughs> off in the Atlanta area. That's Coming right. up next. That's right. 
uh, a congresswoman said something uh, from Massachusetts, said something about abortion uh, that I think is really dangerous. We're going to cover that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. All right, Aubrey, one of the issues we talk about often on this show is abortion. Yeah. And trying to keep people focused on the fact of what is abortion and what yeah. is it not. Right. Um, because I, I think uh, on both sides of the aisle, but I would suggest on this for me, primarily on the pro-abortion, not just the pro-choice, but the pro-abortion side, there's a lot of sanitizing of abortion uh, mm. to make it seem like mm. something that it's not, right? Yeah. We, yeah. we lose sight of the baby. We lose sight of uh, the life. And it's all about um, reproductive rights or yeah. health uh, right. accessibility right. or these right. things. With that in mind, a Democratic congresswoman from the state of Massachusetts named Ayanna, Ayanna Presley, she tweeted this the other day. Abortion bans are rooted in white supremacy, perpetuate cycles of poverty and puts lives at risk. Mm. We must continue to leverage every tool available to affirm abortion care as the human right that Mm. it is. All right. So let's unpack what she said there. Uh, She said that one of the problems with getting that abortion bans perpetuate cycles of poverty and put lives at risk. And then she goes on to call abortion care a human right. Hmm. This is one of the examples, and this is why I bring it up, of the clear uh, scrubbing away of the loss of life that happens Hmm. in abortion. Hmm. Because Hmm. if you're going to hold up the reason we need full abortion, she is a full-on pro-abortionist, is to... uh, is because it's rooted in white supremacy, perpetuates cycles of poverty and puts lives at risk. She's saying getting rid of the baby is better than having a baby born into poverty or whatever else it might be. And therefore it's a human right to rid ourselves of this baby. This also feels like um, there's, there are some things being, there are some inflammatory uh, phrases being used here to kind of work people up to go, yes, we got to be all for abortion. Again, for me, her words here uh, do everything it can to kind of take the focus off the real issue here. And and that's a problem. Yeah, I the interesting thing to me and somebody actually responded this. I have actually heard the opposite in, in several arguments that abortion itself is rooted in white supremacy, perpetuating cycles of poverty and putting uh, pre-born babies lives at risks because it's been primarily like women of color who've been targeted. as like, Oh, you should have an abortion. And part of that is because they haven't been supported. Mm-hmm. And so then there are less babies of color that are born. And I don't know if either one of those are true. I don't know the research. I don't know the data, but it's interesting that, you know, you can, depending on your point of view and your perspective, like both sides are using this same argument And one to say abortion bans are rooted in white supremacy. The other to say abortion is rooted in white supremacy. And um, I, I think what you're talking about is in the midst of these kind of arguments, we forget about the lives at stake. Right. And Mm -hmm. we forget about the call. If this is true, right? Like if abortion bans are perpetuating cycles of poverty, putting lives at risk, 
then I would say let's leverage every available tool to resource moms, to encourage dads to stay around and to do what we can mm-hmm. to support the family. Like the, the, there can be another side to the story, which is support, right? Support yeah. wrapping around these women who are, are abortion minded and doing a better job of not abandoning women to have to uh, care for these babies by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is the wording that is used uh, again, you and I, people who listen to this show know that we are very pro-life, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, this, this is one of the hills that we talk about. One of the, um, one of the important topics of our day, uh, the framing of abortion as human right is that is not neutral Yeah. because right. Anytime you're taking a right away, that is something to be fought for, right? We talk yeah. about the right to free speech, the right to freedom of religion. Uh, how is the gun debate always framed? It's the right to bear arms, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's this idea. Mm-hmm. It's not just when you call something a human right, not even just a constitutional right, but you're calling something like a human like right. universal all humans around this the globe. Yeah, a, this is a right that you have. And now we step in as the government or whatever else going, no, that should not be permissible like the fact that you've gotten people to the point of believing that the government or whoever else is taking away or that, you know, pregnancy centers, uh, whatever, want to take away a human right. That's going to inflame people and go, yes, we have to fight for that as opposed to, I don't know. What about the human rights of the baby? What mm. about the rights of the baby who, mm. who are no longer alive? And you're right. The, um, the statistics around, abortion in the African-American community versus other communities is staggering. I would encourage people to Google it. Uh, And so, you know, it does feel like this feels like misdirection for her to be like, it's a human right. It's white supremacy. Hey, we don't want people like it's going to keep you in poverty. Like, no, let's how about how about we allow babies to live and let's have a real mm. conversation. And if you disagree about that, at least fine, own right, what fine. you're disagreeing with. Right, right. If you if you disagree, you come to a, a different conclusion. That's fine. But I, yeah, to just like throw up smoke and mirrors and not actually engage, I think is is problematic. Right. And at yep. the end of the day, you're right. Like we've got these vulnerable unborn babies and how are we going to support them and how are we going to support their mamas like that's what i think is incumbent on us and that's the harder work ultimately but i think that's the real good flourishing work for both the babies and the moms and ideally the dads if they're going to be in the picture as well yep that's right so uh language matters how about that we'll put it that way yeah, and you got to okay. know what people are saying when they say it uh and and this congresswoman i'll put it this way she knew exactly what she was saying mm, when she used phrases of like course, of human course. right uh and other things like that all right coming up next a very very famous athlete uh posted something really revealing on Twitter. I want to I want to read it because I think it highlights a big problem out there. We're going to do that next year on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Aubrey, we're going to test your sports fandom. Do you even know who Phil Mickelson is? Phil Mickelson is a golfer. See? And I only know
know this because my dad was a big Phil Mickelson fan as I was growing up. And I remember some of my uh, high school buddies being like, oh, Phil Mickelson. And there was another guy, Greg, something who had those shark. Greg Norman. Greg Norman. Of course, I, of course, I know Arnold Palmer. From um, the drink. But yes, you know no, Tiger Woods. You know Tiger uh, yeah, Woods. I know Tiger Woods. But yes, I, I don't I mean it I will confess that it's a rare thing that I happen to know the name Phil Mickelson, but part of it is I just grew up around golfers and like friends who golfed. So yep. Yep. So Phil Mickelson uh really has been of our generation. Uh Phil Mickelson was probably number two to Tiger Woods, right? Like he was known as the second best golfer to Tiger Woods of our time. What's happened here's there's a little bit here's a little background you probably don't know Aubrey. Phil Mickelson is also known to be a uh have a lot of money and to gamble a lot of money. A book came out recently of a guy and it might be not true but a guy who is a notorious gambler like beyond numbers that you would ever imagine. Oh he was close with Phil Mickelson, and he claimed that Phil Mickelson has gambled over a billion dollars in his life. Um, not lost over a billion dollars, but gambled over a billion dollars. Wow. But we're wow. talking a big number. Phil Mickelson has been very open about his gambling, but also it's a little like the guy makes a ton of money. So what do you do with it? With that in mind, I want you to listen to this and I'm going to read what Phil Mickelson tweeted the other day because it feels like he's made kind of a turn in his life. Uh, it's very interesting. He wrote this on Twitter. Most of you will enjoy the football season with moderation while having lots of fun and entertainment. The fantasy leagues will provide banter among friends and money won or lost betting won't affect you. I won't be betting this year because I crossed the line of moderation mm. and into addiction, which isn't any fun at all. The money wasn't ever the issue because our financial security has never been threatened. Hmm. But I was so distracted, I wasn't able to be present with the ones I love and caused a lot of harm. Wow. This lack of presence has been so hurtful. Uh, quote, you're here, but you're not with us is something I've been told often throughout my addiction. Mm. It affected those I care about in ways I wasn't aware or could never fully understand. It's like a hurricane is going on outside and I'm isolated in a shelter, oblivious to uh, what is happening. When I came out, there was so much damage to clean up that I just wanted back. Wow. To go, I just wanted to go back inside wow. and not deal with it. If you ever cross the line of moderation and enter into addiction, he says, hopefully you won't confuse your enablers as friends like I did. Wow. Hopefully you won't have to deal with those difficult moments publicly so others can profit off you like I have. But hopefully you will have a strong and supportive partner who's willing to help you through uh, being your worst self and through your most worst moments like I have with my wife. Mm. She has loved me and supported me through my darkest and most difficult times. Mm. I couldn't have gotten through this without her. I'm so grateful for her uh, strength in helping us get through the many challenges I've created for us. Because of her love, support, and a commitment, I'm back on track to being the person I want to be. After wow. many years of receiving professional help, not gambling, and being in recovery for my addictions, wow. I'm now able to sit still, be present in the moment, and live each day with an inner calm and peace. Mm. I still have a lot of cleaning up to do with those I love the most, but I'm doing it slowly and as best I can. And he finishes this way. 
This football season and beyond, enjoy yourself with moderation so it doesn't distract from your ability to be present. Wow. In my experience, the moments with the ones you love will be far more remembered than any bet you win <laughs> or fantasy league triumph. Wow. That... Is, you could make an argument that in the last 20 years, Phil Mickelson is top 20 most known athletes, most yeah. rich from all of his golf winnings, yeah. all of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And he just came out what a lot of people have wondered about him. He just came out and said, I've got a gambling addiction. Uh, and I've got to do so. And he kind of opened up his soul about the about what it's done. I think this is I'm so glad that you you found this, uh, Brian, and we're talking about it because I also feel like I mean, it's timely, right, with the fantasy football leagues that are happening. My whole family's doing one right now. It's also like this could be about anything. Like when he says, in my experience, the moment with you loves will be far more remembered than any bet you win or fantasy league triumph. Like fill that in with anything that uh, you're addicted to or distracts you, right? Mm -hmm. Like the moments with the ones you love will be far more remembered than any achievements you're running after any, uh, chasing after, you know, this thing to fill your soul or like it's, this is so of wisdom to me that can only come from somebody who's known the darkness, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm, well, I'm even on Twitter right now and watching the numbers of people sharing it go up and up and up and up. He's got almost five million views at this point. Like, I think this has hit a nerve and like a heart cry for a lot of people who are in it, right? Like in right. the middle of in the middle of either their own addictions, specifically financial addictions around gambling or overspending or what have you, or just like hurting the people that they love not realizing how distracted they are. And um I mean, I did you, I didn't know this about him. Did you know this about him that he was kind of a known like So everybody addict? always knows that Phil Mickelson is like you would hear numbers of like okay. how much he reportedly gambled. And like he would you talk said, about okay. gambling. You knew he was constantly gambling. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like people would talk about, oh, they played a fun round of golf with Mickelson and he was betting on every like little constant. And so it's wow. not a surprise at all wow. that wow. he had an addiction and has an mm. addiction. The surprising part is somebody like him admitting it and coming yeah. out publicly. And yeah. a lot of this is driven by that guy's book that really came out. But uh, it does highlight Aubrey. Like you said, it is fantasy. I play fantasy football yeah. uh, for small amount of money with buddies. We all do this kind of stuff. Uh, but gambling addiction, it's easy to speak of drug addiction and alcohol addiction yeah. and uh, what that can do to your life. Pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. The gambling addiction is one that especially, uh, you know, middle class to upper middle class uh, America uh, mm -hmm. Guys sitting, mostly men, sitting in our churches. We don't like to talk about this, but guess what? With things like legalized gambling in Illinois, FanDuel, all this stuff, it's so easy to gamble now. And the results can be destructive. Like, I would never say don't ever gamble. But I think exactly what he says, you need to understand the same way when you go out for a glass of wine, you've got, you've had to have gone, yep. what are the possibilities here? Yep. What's what? Gambling addiction is terrible and it's prevalent. It's so interesting to me because I, we've talked about gambling a little bit before on the show. Like I definitely have this inner 
you know, I've joked about it being an inner Puritan. That's like, nope, Christians can't gamble. Nope, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know, some of that is probably a little too legalistic. Like there might be some ways you can have fun doing fantasy football, betting on games, et cetera, going to the, going to the uh, convenience store and getting a lottery ticket, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But when you hear something like this and you know how easily it can turn to the dark side, destroy your family uh, stability, destroy the next generation for like your family legacy when it comes to your financials and destroy your soul. Like it's definitely something to be mindful of. And like you said, not just gambling, but all these things, like when the moderation begins to change, increase, not be enough. Uh, these are flags we need to really pay attention to and get honest about. I think what Phil Mickelson did here, like a step in healing and recovery is to get honest publicly about the struggles. Yeah. yeah and I, I appreciate that. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, this is one of the most famous, richest athletes there are. And he opens up and he's honest. He's like, Phil Mickelson could sign a, a deal tomorrow to get more money to gamble, yeah. right? Like yeah. This wasn't a money issue. But the way he talked about the effect that it had on his family and his marriage and this and that is whether you're yeah. gambling 20 bucks or you're gambling yeah. 20,000 like he was on a regular basis, like the results can be the same. And I, mm. I'm grateful for the authenticity and uh, some hopefully and for his true. wife, like way to yep. go, Amy. Like she, she seems like the rock in a lot of this. Wow. All right, Aubrey, we talk a lot about crazy parents. I'm about to raise the stakes. I'm going to read for you an article about college admissions Uh and some of the lengths some people are going to. Come on. I think it's going to blow your mind. We're going to do it next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. All right, Aubrey, I told you I'm going to tell you a story of just parents having gone too far. So we talk a lot about helicopter parents, snow plow parents, all of this stuff. and usually it's with little kids, right? Doesn't it normally feel like I want little Johnny to be on the best baseball team or I want, you know, so-and-so to have, this has to do with college admissions. Are oh, you oh, yes, I'm ready. I'm reading this from the New York Post just the other day. Desperate New York City parents spending millions lying, moving across the country to get kids into Ivy League schools. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Let me give you some examples. The college admissions rat race has reached new levels, they write, of insanity, according to one consultant who has seen the havoc it wreaks on families firsthand. So this guy started an organization called uh, Community, I'm sorry, Command Education. You pay him a lot of money. He tries to get you into schools. He said, it's beyond crazy, Christopher Rim said. The emphasis on elite and Ivy schools has absolutely gone off the rails. Among the wild lengths he's seen parents go to in pursuit in pursuit of an acceptance letter, spending up to one point five million on college counselors and Mm-mm. Mm-mm. moving across the country for a more advantageous address. Let me read to Come you about on. this. Many Ivy League admissions officers are actively recruiting in non-urban areas where there are no students currently applying, which means that talented students in those areas who do apply generally have a better chance of admission. He says, I've seen families drop out of prep schools in New York and move to states like Kentucky and Arkansas for high school. It's a sacrifice families are willing to take to increase their child's chances of acceptance at their dream. I would suggest maybe it's not their dream. 
Uh, well, yeah. Even though Common edu- Command Education, that's a guy's organization, won't work with anyone younger than seventh grade, Rim said he regularly has to turn down families who want to start consulting with their second and third graders. <gasps> no! He even had one family lie about their child's age uh-uh. in an attempt to enroll their fifth grader in his program. He goes on to say that they had a woman who was Manhattan. But here he says, some are even willing to shell out unthinkable amounts of money, he said. Like the mom who uh, the Manhattan-based consultant Ivy Coates said agreed to pay $1.5 million to help get her daughter into an elite university. It goes on to say right now, Harvard Harvard is at like a 4% admissions rate. Uh, down from 8%. NYU used to be 27% and is now at 8%. Whoa. They said a lot of this has to do with just more kids trying to, who are like quote unquote elite. Okay. And then uh, also more kids coming in internationally to Come these on. schools. Aubrey, I read this. I don't know what's crazier to me. The $1.5 million. I don't think that's as crazy because some people have that kind of money. Yeah. People moving from prestigious New York schools to Kentucky and Arkansas in order so their kid has a better chance to get back into an Ivy League school is one of the most unbelievable things I've ever read. Okay. Okay. Probably the most important thing to say here, though, is that you and I are in the wrong business. Like, we have got to get in the Ivy League coach consulting business to make $1.5 million for one client. Like, that is okay. Yes, the moving, the money. It's so extreme. And there is something so human. And I want to say preachable in this to like the lengths we will go to, to achieve what we think will lead to success approval. I mean, what part of me is like, what are these parents after any of these kids from these families will get into a great school period. Right. Why does it need to be Ivy league? Like, are they planning their kids to be presidents of the United States or like hold some position that they couldn't hold elsewhere? I mean, and the crazy thing is this feels like a standard that I'm not in that world. So I'll be, I, I can say, I don't totally understand it, but it feels to me like the people that are making it these days are like the self starters, right? Like the, those who start up, those who drop out of college and start some big tech company, they're not Ivy league educated. So I, wonder why this particular niche is still so focused i understand it's a great education etc cetera, etc cetera, but oh it has little to do with education i this don't think it, do it's status right it's status yeah Parent, this is more about the parents and the kids i think it's more about the parents too it's status yeah it is uh like you said there are certain jobs in our world namely politics and yeah. others which you have to have an ivy league degree right you go look at presidents, you look at Supreme yeah. Court, whatever. They're yeah. going to be heavy on the Ivy League. Yeah. Uh, you're in New York. You're reach, You're around Wall Street. There's probably a lot of people making a ton of money at the you yeah. know, who came out of Harvard Business School. Right. Or who came out of this. But there's no doubt that the number one part of this is prestige. And he even says it at the end of his article. He says this. First of all, com- command education is getting like quite the uh, commercial here. 
uh, yeah. in this article, as they say, 94% of clients get into at least one of their top three college no choices. No way. But he goes on to say, these students work so hard and they are giving it their all, but sometimes they do everything right and still don't get in because a classmate's family donated a 50 plus million dollars to the school. Honestly, it's an unfair game. We're playing within its rules, but it's unfair. And I don't think it's ever going to be. This is like, okay. So I hear sometimes, I know this is unrelated, but just like roll with me for a second. Sometimes I hear people say there's no such thing as systematic, you know, uh, injustice or systemic systemic. That's where, uh, you know, systems of, it's all individuals. It's individuals are corrupt, not systems. And I look at this and I'm like, this is a corrupt system <laughs> that people can pay. Now, maybe those individuals are corrupt because they're doing it, but they can pay into a system and get the outcome that they need, leaving people out who can't. That's yeah. an unjust, corrupt system. It's and I feel like your- this exists in so many places around the world and so many industries around the world that we're not even aware of because we're so focused on like, no, it's just individual. I'm like, I don't no, there there are players involved that are making money at the end of the day that's what it leads to also it's is wild. money it's yeah. wild so let's speak to parents out there apart from college education uh, like you're about to have to go through this and there is yeah. something to be said about like where's your kid able to get into totally but in the end this idea of parents manipulating systems so your kid gets into the best music program when they're five years old or they get into the best whatever or so that your son gets playing time on this travel team or all the way up to college like the amount of pressure parents put on little kids like what second grader is going yes mommy and daddy i would like to start talking about my college i mean this is insanity it's insanity i'm sorry my junior who like needs to start talking about college is like i don't want to talk about college i don't want to talk about no there are some brilliant future-minded students who are but not at second grade absolutely not like maybe it's that their parents went to wheaton college and they like grew up going to wheaton football games and they want to go to wheaton too that's a totally different thing than assuming your kids have the same drive you have but i think there is you're right brian like okay our son Eli is brilliant. We're not in the Ivy league category. We can't pay for it. That's not where he's going to be. I have no issues with that. That said, I am starting to feel the stress of like, will he get into a good school? What's his future going to be because of the good school? Is he going to know Jesus in that good school? Is he going to thrive? Will he be able to get a job? Like I, so I can put myself in the mindset of those other Ivy league parents without having the resources or that kind of drive. And you have to stop and go, okay, we are going to do what we can for our kid to thrive. At the end of the day, we're also going to trust like God's got a plan. God loves this kid more than we do. And that no matter what path they're on, the Lord is going to lead them and guide them as long as they're listening to the spirit. And sometimes even if they're not that sort of roundabout path that they're on, that makes no sense is the very thing that's leading them where they're supposed to go. Yep. So my daughter, I'll close here. She is, uh, I've talked about this many times on the show. She's at Hope College. Uh, yeah. Hope College is a fantastic school. It's It just got rated in the top 100 whatever list of whatever, right? Like, it's a great school. My daughter scores and other things. She probably could have gotten into, I'm using air quotes, better schools, right? Yeah, yeah. More prestigious school. 
Uh, she's a year, almost a year and a half in at Hope. Perfect school for her. It, I could not, I could not think of a better school for her. If you're deciding your kids' stuff based on the U.S. News and World Report stuff, I'll give you a hint. That's also rigged. All of it's rigged. This whole prestigious thing and all uh, of this. Uh, Pray with your kids. Go visit schools. Yes, trust yes. that they're going to be at the right yes, spot. That's and uh, and all will be well. I thought this is wild. This yeah. Again, we're just in the wrong business. That's really there what I'm go. learning from this. There you go. <laughs> we'll be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.